0: Derek, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. and We so appreciate being a part of this body. Uh, we've just found ourselves at home here. Some of you heard me say this. We thought we were going to, look, I resigned from my pastorate in New Jersey last December. and We thought we'd be church hopping for a while or church shopping, but as soon as we found here, we just stayed. <laughs> no more shopping. So we love you all. We're very grateful to be a part of this, and Derek, I'm grateful to you for sharing the pulpit. Well, I can see one thing is going to be interesting. I can't really see my notes because of the spotlight. So let's see how I'm going to do this. That doesn't look so good, right? You see, I'm still analog. I am convinced that paper is making a comeback. It's just like vinyl. This is straight from Williamsburg. That's where I got this. Would you pray with me, please? I'm going to need it. Jesus, we love you, that's why we're here. We ask by your Holy Spirit that you would illuminate the truths of your word to us today in a way that we can apply them to our lives. Come Holy Spirit, instill and renew hope within us in the particular ways that each of us as individuals and perhaps all of us as a congregation most need today. We pray, Lord, that we would submit our hearts to you and that we would respond in a way that's pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I really can't see my notes, but... If you're like me, you've probably always assumed that that symbol on Superman's chest was an S, right? But if you saw the movie Man of Steel, you'll know that that's not what it stands for. There is a scene in that movie where Lois Lane goes up to Superman and says, Hey, what's the S stand for? And he looks at her and he says, It's not an S. It's the Kryptonian symbol for hope. In an otherwise disappointing film, I'm going <laughs> I am, full disclosure, I'm an old comic book collector, so. The This was a little tragic seeing how they depicted him. But that aside, that scene is powerful. It's powerful and it resonates because that dialogue, that little snippet of dialogue, taps into a universal longing for hope. And also because it presents Superman as a messianic figure who represents hope. People are looking for hope. They often feel so hopeless. They and maybe we are pessimistic about the future. We just don't see that brighter day coming. We really want to wish or hope that tomorrow would be better than today, but it's a struggle sometimes. What is it that you find yourself struggling with in terms of having hope. Are you losing hope that you'll ever find Mr. Right or Ms. Right? Are you losing hope that the relationship you're in right now will really work out? If you're married, are you losing hope, but it's only between you and God that you say this, that that marriage will be all you know and wanted it to be? If you're a parent, are you losing hope that you'll ever have the wisdom and grace and ability to parent your child or children the way you want to? Are you losing hope that you'll ever find a satisfying job? Are you losing hope that you'll get that call back, or better yet, that part? Are you losing hope that you'll ever have enough income to meet your expenses? In other words, to make it in New York City. Are you losing hope that you'll overcome, ever overcome, that besetting sin that plagues you, that addiction? Are you losing hope that you'll ever realize those dreams that you've held to for so long? Well, whatever it is, Whenever we say we are losing hope, what we're really saying is that we are pessimistic about the future. We're saying that we expect to be disappointed. And that's understandable. Because past disappointments and the hardships of life, they knock the wind out of our sails. It's easy to become pessimistic. It's easy to give up that things will ever happen get better. That's a really cheerful introduction to a sermon, isn't it? (laughs) Well, the proverbial good news, bad news, that's the bad news. See, I got it out of the way. Now's the good news. I've titled this sermon, The Gospel of Hope, very intentionally. All of you in this church probably know the word gospel means good news. God's hope is good news for you and for me. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans 15, 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We all want hope, don't we? Frankly, we all need hope. And that good news is that God graciously offers to give us that hope. The issue, I believe, is that we don't access that hope to the degree it's offered to us. So what is hope? And what's the distinction between hope and faith? And what can we do to access, not only access more of this hope, but maintain this hope, and even, dare I say it, build this hope? We're going to look at that right now. First of all, what is hope? Biblical hope is not wishful thinking. I hope I win the lottery. Typically, when all of us express hope, just, you know, in the by and by in our daily lives, we are expressing uncertainty. In our daily lives, when we express hope, we're expressing uncertainty. You're running late for a meeting. I, I hope I catch an express at the next stop. Or I hope... Star Wars, Rise of Skywalker is a good movie. Or I hope I can finish this sermon in two hours. You see, all of these outcomes are uncertain. But the biblical writers define hope differently. For them, inherent in the word hope is certainty, not uncertainty. Biblical hope refers to the certainty that we may have, that God will fulfill his promises to us. In Hebrews 10, 23, it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Oh, thank you. Whoops. (laughs) Spiritual warfare, it's got to be. The prince of the power of the air. He's cutting off the electricity. All right. Thank you. I will put it on a uh, device next time. I respect John Piper, and John Piper has this to say about hope. You should have the definition up there. Biblical hope not only desires something good for the future, it expects it to happen. And it not only expects it to happen, it is confident that it will happen. Furthermore, Piper states, hope is something that should not waver because it is rooted in the faithfulness of God. It's not rooted in our willpower and our good intentions. It's rooted in the faithfulness of God so we can count on it. At this point, it's probably a good idea to clarify the distinction between hope and faith because as a pastor through the years, I've heard so many people scratch their heads like, well, I don't understand the difference between these two. Most of us know the famous passage in the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul says, all of the gifts will pass away, but these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. But Paul doesn't tell us what the second greatest virtue is. But it's crystal clear that both the virtues of faith and hope are vital for Christian living. So what is the difference between faith and hope? I am sparing you about two more pages of notes. I boiled it down to one paragraph. See how nice I'm being today. Although hope is a necessary part of biblical faith, faith is a much larger concept. Faith includes hope, but is more than hope. Hope is that part of faith that focuses on the future, whereas faith can focus on the past and the present. I believe that God is going to do this today. I believe that God created the earth in seven days, past, present. But when it's future, it's hope. So in a nutshell, hope is faith directed toward the future. Hope is faith directed toward the future. Or Piper, I think, puts it this way, that hope is faith in future tense. So a famous scholar wrote that, but I wrote the following. I like to think of hope as a gift from God to strengthen us in the present as we look to the future. Hope is a gift from God to strengthen us in the here and now as we look to the future. Now that we know what hope is and how it's distinguished from faith, how can we access and maintain hope in our lives? Paul has some wonderful answers to that question in Romans 15, actually in the entire book of Romans. If I were resubtitling Romans, which is known mostly as a, an epistle about faith and grace, you could call it the gospel of hope. So many insights into hope. But we're just going to focus on two or three. In chapter 15, if you have your Bible, this is our theme scripture. Um, in verses 9 and 12 that lead up to this, because context is important, What Paul does is he quotes four different Old Testament scriptures that are all talking about, they're all prophecies um, that the Gentiles will glorify God. And he ends here in verse 12 by quoting the prophet Isaiah. The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. Isaiah prophesied that one day the Gentiles will hope in Messiah Jesus. So what Paul does is he springboards from those Old Testament scriptures, and particularly from that verse in Isaiah, he springboards from the ultimate hope of Jesus in eternal life to the more general sense of hope in the here and now. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's unpack this a little bit because this is really our, our meat and potatoes today. First phrase says, may the God, let's just stop right there because what does that tell us, that phraseology that Paul is using? It tells us that this isn't just an instruction, this is a prayer. Paul is praying this for the Roman Christians. And the wonderful thing about Scripture is that we can make that our prayer too. If you're deficient in hope, let's say, Lord God, God of hope, fill me with all joy and trust as I do my best to trust in you, with all joy and peace as I do my best to trust in you, so that I can overflow with hope by the power of your Holy Spirit. We can make that our own prayer. He says, may the God of hope, next phrase, God of hope. That tells us that God is the source and the supplier of hope. Where do we typically look for hope? Do we look for it in our smarts? Do we look for it in our bank account? Do we look for it in our track record? Do we look for it perhaps in what someone else will do for us? If we look for hope in any of those areas, it's at best uncertain, and it's often that we'll be disappointed if we are looking to any of those things to supply hope. No, the only place we can have confident hope is in Jesus, in His Word. Next phrase, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him. Now, that's sort of a curious thing. When we're talking about hope, then all of a sudden, Paul introduces this notion of joy and peace. So what, and he prays that they would be filled with joy and peace as they trust in God. God. But what do joy and peace have to do with hope? Joy relates to the delight of anticipation in seeing one's hopes fulfilled. And peace, well, peace results from the assurance that God will fulfill those hopes. Now, we know from Galatians 5 that both peace and joy are fruit of the Spirit, right? So they don't emerge in us full-formed, it's salvation. We cultivate peace and joy, like all of the fruit of the Spirit, throughout our lifetimes. We cultivate them and hopefully grow in them as what? As we trust in Jesus. Key phrase. Joy and peace are very closely related. If you do a word study throughout the Scriptures, you'll see they're often in tandem. I wondered about that, so I just looked at it, and I found this wonderful quote. I didn't make this up. This is really great. It's from a 19th century Baptist minister named F.B. Meyer. What do joy and peace have to do with each other? Meyer writes, joy is peace dancing, and peace is joy at rest. Joy is peace dancing. And hopefully, your peace dance is better than mine. <laughs> and peace is joy resting. Isn't that beautiful? So that you may overflow with hope. Trust leads to joy and peace. And joy and peace, in turn, foster hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There is no way we can generate hope through our own strength or through our own willpower. We experience biblical hope only through the power of the Holy Spirit. Allow me to tell you just a little story where I found this so evident in my own life. Some of you know this, some of you don't know this. You never see her because she's in Australia, but we have one daughter. And for nine years, she was afflicted with a debilitating chronic disease and couldn't attend school. So, you can imagine, we, we prayed our heads off, you know, that God would heal her. And many years had gone by, and she hadn't gotten, hadn't gotten better. Um, so, there were times I was losing hope that God would ever heal our daughter. Now, this, again, is where the distinction comes in. Mind you, I was not losing faith. I never lost faith that God could heal her, only that he would heal her. I never lost faith in God's goodness or in his character or that he knew what he was doing. I really didn't. That's not a false... uh, I'm not bragging. That's true. But at the same time, I struggled with hope. I was so weak in hope that he would heal her. So we went to home group one night, And, you know, it was time for prayer requests. And I asked the folks if they could please pray for Michelle. And, of course, they did. They prayed for her healing. But they were so kind, so they prayed for me as her father. I don't think Barbara was there that night. And so they laid hands on me. And to this day, I remember one of those prayers because it impacted me so greatly. And it was so simple. One man put his hands on me, laid hands on me, and he prayed a one-word prayer. One word. He said, hope. And then he, he went, hope. Hope, hope. He didn't know that I was totally losing hope at that point because I hadn't shared that. So you see, that was really more of a prophetic word or a word of knowledge than a prayer. And as a result of that simple prayer for hope, just hope, I walked out of that meeting, and my hope bucket was filled to overflowing. I had such a renewed hope that God would indeed heal Michelle. Postscript, he healed her before her freshman year of college, after nine years. Whenever any of us are filled with true hope, it's only, the genuine article is only by the power of the Holy Spirit. So all of these truths from Romans 15, 13 that we've just sort of lightly touched on, in my opinion, they're worth memorizing. They are worth reflecting on. They're worth praying through if we want to be filled with hope. See, I can hear what you're saying. But Clint, is there anything else we can do? I am so glad you asked. I didn't think you ever would. Yes! I'm a very pragmatic kind of guy. So there are a couple of very practical things that we can do. To fill our own hope buckets. If we go back earlier in the chapter, in chapter 15 of Romans, Paul points us to the best resource to stimulate our hope, hope, the Word of God. I know what you're thinking, oh my gosh, that's Christianity 101. Yeah, but it's indispensable, and it's true. The best source to stimulate hope, hope is the Word of God. It doesn't help with speech impediments, but it does help with a lot of other things. Paul writes in verse four, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. When Paul says everything that was written in the past, he's referring to the Old Testament, of course. The beauty of the truth of Scripture is when we embrace that verse today, it means for us everything that was written in the Old and the New Testaments is fair game. So to break it down really simply. According to this verse, there are two ways that Scripture promotes hope. One, through the examples of endurance demonstrated by various characters in the Bible. And two, through the encouragement and comfort specific Scriptures provide. First of all, look at the, the plethora of examples. This is Big Word 101. The plethora of examples of characters in the Bible that exercised hope, exercised endurance. That word could also be translated patience or perseverance. Joseph, oh my gosh. Joseph was an incredible example of endurance. You see, he had received promises from God through a couple of prophetic dreams that one day he'd be a ruler. But it sure didn't look like those dreams or those hopes would ever be fulfilled. His own brothers sold him into slavery. He was falsely accused of raping his boss's wife. He's unjustly thrown into prison for years, then forgotten by the other prisoners whom he helped out. But God sovereignly intervened and had him released from prison and, in fact, raised him up to the second highest position in all of Egypt. So those prophetic dreams were fulfilled. But Joseph had to persevere. He had to endure through tremendous trials, trials like none of us will ever have to face, before his hope in God's promises was fulfilled. A true example of endurance. Then, of course, there's the poster child for endurance, Job. What about him? He lost all his wealth and possessions. All of his children were killed. And then he was covered with sores Painful sores from head to toe. And yet, after all of that, in the midst of all of that, in chapter 13, verse 15 of Job, he proclaims his trust in God. Though he slay me, yet will I what? hope in him. Though he slay me, yet will I hope in God. Job was so renowned for his perseverance that over 2,000 years later, The apostle James wrote this about Job, as you know, we count count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. That testimony about Job should inspire hope in us that God will likewise show us mercy and compassion as we persevere through our own trials. Third example. Of course, in endurance as in everything else, Jesus is our supreme example, isn't he? He was betrayed by a follower that he had poured his life into for three years, he was abandoned by his best and closest friends at his darkest hour. He was mocked, he was whipped, he was crucified, put on the cross, experienced an excruciating death because of other people's sins, because he was completely innocent. And then he says, Lord, Father, Abba, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He forgave those who put him up there on the cross. Regarding Jesus' example of perseverance, the author of Hebrews exhorts us, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary And lose heart. Whenever you or I are in danger of growing weary or losing heart, we have only to look back at the life and example of Jesus, to be inspired to have that sense of hope renewed, to strengthen us in our own perseverance. These examples and others, the examples of perseverance in Scripture help give us a healthier perspective on our own problems. If I think I'm going through a rough time, I just go back and review the stories of Job or Joseph or, for that matter, Moses or Peter or John. The list is almost endless. So if I think I'm going through a rough time, I look at what their examples were, I don't feel so bad anymore. I really don't. My problems are not as severe as I think they are. Perspective. Examining the stories of the saints who lived before us and endured so much gives us perspective, takes our eyes off our navel onto something else, something bigger. It's like that secular proverb, the man with no shoes felt really bad till he saw the man with no socks. The man with no socks felt really bad till he saw the man with no feet. But I believe that these examples do more than provide perspective. I think they provide inspiration. We can learn from these saints' examples of patient faithfulness in the midst of trials. We can marvel at their faith while at the same time realizing they're men and women just like you and me, and because they're flesh and blood just like you and me. That should encourage us, it should inspire us that we too, we can persevere through whatever is thrown in our path. We can do this by the power of the Holy Spirit. As we see how God came through for them time and time again, he always came through at the end of the day. The Holy Spirit Calvary came to the rescue every time. Granted, after some pretty rough times, but that should give us hope that the Holy Spirit Calvary will come riding in for us. He will for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. That word encouragement can also be translated comfort. The second way that Scripture promotes hope is through the encouragement and comfort that specific Scriptures provide. We are encouraged as we read, as we study, as we meditate, as we memorize specific verses or passages of of Scripture that apply to our particular situations. When I was a young Christian, my mom gave me this little booklet, What to Do When. It's filled with Bible verses that apply to specific situations. What to do, for example, what to do when angry, what to do when anxious, what to do when discouraged, what to do when rejected, and so forth. When my mom gave me that booklet, I had just broken up with a girlfriend and I was in a lot of pain. But I went to the scriptures that I found the most applicable. I literally memorized them, I used to jog, and I would just say them over and over again in my brain as I was jogging a few miles. And the Word of God, no joke, it ministered hope to me. I knew that there was gonna be a better day. I wasn't a non-realist, I knew the pain would last for a while, but the truth of Scripture infused me with hope that there was a better day coming. I could be optimistic about the future. He would heal my pain. He would restore my joy. Because of the truth of his word, I stood on that. What I'm basically suggesting is that we apply Romans 15, 4 in pretty much the same way. To this day, I make it a practice to bookmark certain scriptures I run across that I find helpful. And that way I can easily access them if I'm going through something similar sometime later, months or years later. For example, I'm not only pastor, I really make my living now as a designer. I have a small design firm and frankly, we could use more work. So one of my go-to scriptures when work is drying up and I see nothing on the horizon is Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18. Though the fig tree does not bud and though there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, and yes, that's what Morgan design looks like right now. (laughs) Though that, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. You see, these verses, they remind me To praise God in the midst of my circumstances, and not just because it's the Christian thing to do, to praise God when I have work, when I don't have work, when I'm content, when I'm uncontent. They encourage me because they remind me that my joy is not anchored to my circumstances. It is anchored to the immovable person of Jesus Christ and his love for me. What if I'm anxious? Do you ever get anxious? Nah, not in this city. (laughs) If I'm anxious, I might refresh myself. With Isaiah 26.3, you will keep in... I love this, it's so, like, declarative. You, Lord, will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all who fix their eyes on you. Isn't that great? So I'm reminded by Isaiah that I can experience peace by fixing my gaze on Jesus and not on my problems. I know that sounds like a hallmark sentiment, but it's true. Fixing our eyes on Jesus and not on the problems. And interestingly enough, considering we just looked at Romans 15, 13, Isaiah, thousands of years earlier, agrees with the truth that we achieve peace or we are granted peace through the instrument of trust. So he and Paul are totally on the same page. I know that's a relief to you. Yes, as I trust, I will experience peace. Then a third example. This is my current go-to scripture. This one's great, it's multi-purpose. You can use it for a lot of things, almost on a daily basis, actually. This is the one I find the need to go to regularly. Whenever I feel like I need an attitude adjustment, imagine that. Or, you know, I'm under some stress, imagine that. It's 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray continuously. Give thanks in all things, for that is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I particularly love the last part. We all want to do God's will. Well, right there, it's in black and white. God's will for us in Christ Jesus is that we will rejoice always, we'll pray continuously, and give thanks in all circumstances. Not for, but in all circumstances. Love the Word of God. These are just three examples of encouraging Scriptures, but they demonstrate the power of Scripture to address our particular needs and encourage us in the way that we most need it. They remind us of the various promises of God that we can be confident He will keep. And the upshot of all that encouragement we get from Scripture is that it renews hope, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the the encouragement they provide, we might have hope." I want to close by looking at one more key aspect of hope that Paul reveals. And again, I'm going sort of backwards in the book of Romans. In Romans 5, the first five verses, Paul writes, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. And this is the part I really want us to focus on. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about what? Perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. Proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. So we see in this passage how integrated the whole book of Romans is, because once again, Paul demonstrates the relationship of perseverance and the Holy Spirit to hope. But this passage gives us some additional insights, additional truths. In Romans 15.4, which we just read, I'm sorry, in 15.4, which we read earlier, Paul tells us that endurance and encouragement in the Scriptures lead us to hope. But what he does for us here, actually earlier, in verse 5 of Romans 5, is Paul elaborates on the process by which endurance or perseverance leads to hope. He says our suffering leads to perseverance, which then leads to proven character, which then leads to hope as the ultimate product. So that's good, but the key additional insight we gain in this passage is this that hope the hope god produces in us does not disappoint because it is established on the bedrock of his love and the holy spirit is instrumental in this we saw in romans 15:13 earlier that it's the holy spirit who causes hope to overflow in our lives and interestingly enough, here in Romans 5:5, 5, 5, we see it's the Holy Spirit who causes the love of God to overflow in our hearts. So, to summarize everything that I've said about hope, what we've learned about hope today. The hope that we long for, whatever that hope is for you, whatever that looks like for you, it's produced in us by God as we go through a process of sorts. First, We express our trust in God as we exercise endurance in our difficulties. We exercise trust as we are encouraged by the scriptures. Secondly, as we trust, we experience the beautiful, wonderful byproducts of peace and joy. And finally, the Holy Spirit himself imparts to us a hope that overflows and does not disappoint because it is grounded on God's love, in God's love. Hope, like every other grace we enjoy, it's simply an expression of God's amazing love for us, the Father's love for you and for me. Because Jesus loves us so much. He delights. He's not stingy. He's not holding the hope back. He delights to pour out that hope by the power of his spirit in the midst of the most difficult trials you're going through. It's there. The hope is there. That's the good news of hope. That's the gospel of hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope By the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to invite you as we have the ministry time today. It doesn't take a word of knowledge to know this. I know that some of you badly need a fresh infusion of biblical hope. I just encourage you to come up and get prayer for that. We'll have people up here to pray for that. Derek.